How many of you like getting gifts? Who likes getting gifts? Anybody? Yeah, I do too. You guys don't? Nobody over here? You like getting gifts? Go ahead and raise your hand. Be brave. Come on. It's okay. It's okay to be human. How many of you would say you enjoy giving gifts more than you enjoy getting them? Anybody? Show-offs. I think you can enjoy both of those things, right? I do like a good gift. I don't know if I enjoy giving them more than I enjoy getting them. I have to process that. Depends on what the gift is, I suppose. If it's your son, the surgeon, saying, Dad, there's a new $90,000 Mercedes in the parking lot for you, that might be a better gift than just giving one away. I don't know. Gifts are awesome things. Uh, One time in my life, my precious wife gave me a gift, and it really set the tone for her personality and our relationship because she is a gift giver. She enjoys doing that. And she she heard and saw and observed that I loved uh, brass music, drum corps music, marching band music. And there was a Broadway show called Blast. Anybody hear of that? Anybody? I'm the only cool guy here today. But the Blast was a, was a Broadway show of of marching band style horns and drums and percussion. It's called Blast. Beautiful music, highly well choreographed and brought in a lot of crowds, believe it or not. And I loved it so much. And one day, and we were fairly new in our relationship, she brought it to me, a package wrapped so beautifully. She, she wraps packages beautifully. She puts a lot into them. I tend to put them in a bag and throw them at you, but she wraps them with great care. And I opened it up and I saw this CD in those days, babe, remember? And it was of, it was the Blast Broadway show. And tears really came to my eyes. They really did because a wonderful thing happened inside of me. I, I, I realized she cared about me. I realized that she had been listening to me. Uh, she was getting to know me and it was special. And I cried because it touched me in a way that I realized she's an empathetic lady and, and maybe something good is going to happen in our life together. And it has, and it's been wonderful. Because that was kind of one of those things I was busy working, and I probably wasn't going to buy it for myself. She bought it for me. It was a real gift. You know, a real gift that you get is something you don't budget for. Maybe you don't even have any plans to get it, but you want it really bad. And maybe a great gift is one of those gifts that, you don't even expect, you know? The greatest gifts, I think, are those oftentimes that we wouldn't give ourselves or perhaps we couldn't give ourselves. We don't give ourselves permission to or maybe we don't think we can afford it. Gifts, however, do touch our hearts, whether it's giving those gifts or receiving those gifts. They're unearned blessings. They're not, like I said, in the budget. And just puts us into this wonderful state of mind when someone says, I love you, Here's here's a gift. It's almost believable sometimes when we find ourselves holding on something like I did that day on that CD that I wanted. I really did want it. It was amazing. It blows our minds that someone would go to that trouble. Well, in this part of the series, we've been in this series about the Bible. Just let's talk about the Bible. And we've been cruising through the Old Testament. We're going to jump into the New Testament today and just continue to try to talk about some of the major themes are there. We're going to jump into this part of the Scripture that tells us the story of the greatest gift of all time. The greatest thing that ever could be given to humankind was Jesus. You know that. This gift came packaged up from God and was given to us because we needed it. 
We couldn't really ask for it. We could never afford what Jesus did to this earth. The scripture, John 3.16, it's not in your notes or on the screen, but I know you're familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Incredible scripture. Incredible thing happened to the culture of the world when Jesus came that changed so many of our options. It put so many things in place. And it's why we're gathered today because God said, I love you so much that I'm going to do something about religion. I'm going to do something about a world that struggles to know how to reach me because I'm a holy God, and I'm going to give you my son. And he's going to be the final sacrifice, and that sacrifice which forgives you of sin. All the sins you've done, all the sins you could think about, all the sins of the future will be forgiven. My son's going to do that. I'm going to give it to you. It's incredible. It's a gift we could not give ourselves. We have no control over. We could never afford it. Yet we receive it 100%. And while it comes to the world, it's packaged up individually. Jesus comes to the individual heart. And that is how the New Testament part of the Bible opens up. This new piece where we've moved on from the history of the Israelites. and They have found themselves now sort of learning how to be a government under God. and They found themselves dealing with corruption, being human, struggling, but still focusing on the idea of worshiping one God. And finally, after many people probably forgot about it, the promise came true. Jesus came and he landed on this earth. It's going to sound like Christmas this morning a little bit as we read, and that's okay. Because you know what? Matthew chapter 1 is not just about a holiday. It's about an incredible thing that has happened to us in this world. There are four books in the Bible that tell this story in one way or another. And these books are called Gospels. Gospel means good news or good tidings. These Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those are very similar. And John tells the same story, but in a different way. They're all a little different. They're all from a different perspective. But they're all trying to describe the same thing that happened to the earth. And that was the giving of Jesus and what he did in really his short life on this earth. 33 years or so, we would all say that's a young life. They tell like I said, from different perspectives, but all of them land in the same spot trying to penetrate the heart of this earth to learn the story of Jesus. So when you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're going to sound somewhat similar. Do go through the effort of reading all of them, though, because you'll learn different things in different perspectives. And so we're going to feel like Christmas as we read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to Start in verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That had never happened before. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Very human story. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 is very important in this story. All of it's important. But once again, we see this kind of expression in the Scripture that we have heard before, we've read before. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. Okay, we see that over and over in the Old Testament. These things happen because God intended for them to happen. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. That's heavy duty. Would you say it with me, God with us, ready? God with us. Where is, where is God? That's a big deal. Is he in a temple? Sure. But is that the only place he is? No. Back in the days of Moses, God showed up in a temple, and if you wanted to visit God, you risk your own life. You could die going into that temple. So only select people got to go before the Lord and and pray to him or bring the sins of the people to him. And Moses had the outrageous experience of going on top of a mountain and having a conversation with him. Most of us don't get to do that. But God did say, well, I'm not going to sit on mountains and talk to people like that anymore, and I'm not going to show up in temples like that anymore necessarily. I'm just going to make it so that everybody can know me. And you're going to... You're going to know me through my son, Jesus. Hands down, these verses tell the story about the greatest gift ever given to the history of the world. This gift given to us by God, it changed the culture of the world. It changed the culture of religion. It changed the face of how humans could learn and love God. And it set the stage so that you and I today could be in this room and be genuine disciples who all have access to him. How many of you talked to God this week at all? Raise your hand. It's okay. Yeah. Some of you didn't. How many did not? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but for those of us that did, that's an amazing thing. What would you do today? Well, I went to the store. I bought eggs. And oh, by the way, I talked to God. You get to do that because of this gift. This wonderful gift from God. God's been empathetic. Like Beth with Beth was empathetic. Very godlike she was. God's been watching our lives carefully for all those centuries, for all the struggle. And God knew and God knows there's a massive problem that we can't fix. There's a massive need in our life, and it's a need for us that only He can handle. And it's that massive problem of how to get to God, how to be in a relationship with a perfectly holy God, and how to keep that relationship going without getting suffocated and buried in religion. And it's such an amazing story that it came to be called gospel. Good news comes from a Greek word that sounds like evangelism, but it just means great tidings. Wonderful thing is about to happen. It's a beautiful thing. Check out these words in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11. 
John, talking about John the Baptist, when John the Baptist guy was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Messiah's Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, once again, I want to remind you that we're reading a synopsis of what took place. We don't know all the things they said. It sounds very sort of rote and and academic, but this is a passionate appeal. John's in prison. He's been there a long time, maybe a year, and he's struggling with this Messiah. Even though he knows who he is, he's even pointed out Jesus as being from God. He's still struggling with what exactly is taking place. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And Jesus goes off on this. He says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's incredible, the good news, the gospel. It's that, it's a term that had been around even in Old Testament time. That expression, good news, could be applied to any time you got good news when you were expecting bad. So if you went to the ancient dentist and they said, we don't know what to do about a cavity, but we do have a solution for you, we can pull it out. There's no anesthesia, but we can pull it out. That was good news. You're not going to die from the cavity. And Jesus, as he speaks to them, he sort of gives this sort of Southern Baptist-style sermon as he fires off a resume of what's been going on in his life. And I love the way Jesus, he, he just points through these things. The blind have started to see, the lame have started walking, skin diseases are being healed, and the dead are being brought back to life, and good news is being delivered to the poor, and I haven't even had lunch yet. That's Jesus. It literally was stunning to be in his presence. It was stunning. It was powerful. It was big. It was huge. And that is the gospel in a nutshell, this story of how lives are changed. The gospel is healing, healing, and and there's a love for the poor, and even if it's just being poor in spirit. And so John the Baptist, who had been struggling because he had gotten in trouble with the king for calling out the king on his divorce, and he'd been imprisoned. And, but his followers were still active. You remember before Jesus, John the Baptist was a huge dude. He was a rock star prophet. He had the long hair and the beard and the fashion of the Nazarites and looked like Jeremy back here. You, you remind me a lot of John. And you like locusts? Anyway. But he had a ton of followers. They, they loved him. They loved John. They listened to him. He was unique. He was a unique guy filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. A different sort of guy. And so he was connected to Jesus and a powerful Man, but he'd been slowing down his ministry and his influence. And, and John, even though he'd recognized Jesus as the Son of God, maybe, maybe as his disciples came and were talking to him, he just needed reassurance. I don't know. Maybe something in his heart and mind got uneasy. Maybe he was discouraged because in prison, there have been arguments about why John even sends the question to Jesus at all. But I love that he does it. I love what John does. When John's confused, when John is Wondering when John is concerned. I love what he tells his guys to do. A simple thing. Go ask him. Go ask Jesus who he is. Are you the one we've been expecting? When he says we, he's talking about the Jews. 
talking about the Jews, people who've been hungry and longing for a better answer for faith. And some knew about the Messianic prophecies, probably most. And some of them held on to them, and they believed them, and they wanted it to happen. And in a certain way, for me, it's just that John just needs to be reassured in his faith. And if you were to put yourself in John's sandals for a little bit, you might be in the same situation because all these years have passed and the prophecies of the Messiah had not been fulfilled. And John didn't have the benefit of attending this series here at Harmony. If he had, he would, he would know more. But you've heard me say during this series how blessed we are because we have more information about God. We know more. We have more insight. We have more opportunity to be connected to him than our forefathers did. So it's amazing. And if the prophecy hasn't been filled, you know, he could expect all sorts of things. Maybe he was expecting, as I know the world was, a bigger kind of character than what Jesus was. Maybe a king from a distant land or a military figure or a princely guy, smoke and mirrors, you know, so to speak. But, but John had read, he'd heard the prophecies, as I said, and I believe, I believe that he was spiritual. And I believe he knew that Christ was called to proclaim freedom to the world. And he had read those prophecies. He knew about those things in Isaiah. Isaiah spoke about deaf hearing. Isaiah spoke about the lame, uh, in one passage, leaping like a deer. Uh, Isaiah spoke about the dead coming back to life. And Isaiah spoke about good news for the oppressed and the brokenhearted, captives, prisoners. Those are all signs of the Messiah that John had studied. But even still, just like us, even though we know a lot about him, John knew a lot about him, he still didn't know exactly what to expect. Because when it unfolds before you, it can be kind of unbelievable. Unbelievable, And that's important to us as believers. We, we know we expect things from God. But we don't always know exactly how God is going to do it because God is not like a spreadsheet. He's not a math problem. He's a God. He, he flows in the way that is best for him as God. And, and here's a little bit about what John knew. John had studied, like I said, the Old Testament, the prophecies by Isaiah, which we talked about. And I want to pick up two of those that are very relevant to us. Isaiah 7 and 14, it says, from Isaiah, remember the sophisticated prophet, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, we just read about that. Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born. To us, to us, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let me ask you this. If that's all you'd known, you'd read those, okay, what would you expect? The government on his shoulders, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. What would you expect? The Messiah in these scriptures sounds pretty spectacular. He sounds huge. He sounds bigger than life. And what Jesus was saying in Matthew 11 challenging all around him that he was the Messiah. All those things Jesus spoke about were biblical proof texts, so to speak, of him as the Messiah. 
And you know, kings and princes were often referred to as messiahs. He was the messiah, but it was a common thing to refer to someone as a messiah if you felt like they were going to change things, make things better. Amazing. And he would also, of course, become called Emmanuel, God with us. That's amazing. That's not a nickname. It was a clear and present description of who Jesus was. And so all of this stuff about government and counselor and God and father and prince, all that's Messiah stuff. But still, what do we expect? What do you expect when you're that first century Jew who's got a very tender heart toward God? You, you care about these things. You want the Messiah to come because maybe you're distressed about the world of faith around you and you're, you're tired of all the sacrifices and you're struggling and you, you see these things and your grandfather taught you there will be, there will come an amazing day when this Messiah comes. What would you expect this guy, the Messiah? Because here's what happened when Jesus came. He came so humbly. I mean, deeply humble. There was no local announcement. There was no meeting with the mayor and the celebrities. Just one day, Jesus was born. His parents took a long ride on a donkey, and they had a few supplies with them. They wound up sleeping in something like a barn. That's how this Messiah came to this earth. That makes no sense if you're a first century Jew. But that's how he arrived. The Messiah, no marching band. I would have definitely had marching band there. But no one even knew what to say. Most people couldn't say a word because they didn't know what had happened. There was a few things here and there, a little bit of scuttlebutt. And guys, that's Jesus. That's how Jesus works. That's still Jesus to this day. How he showed up in the cities and the towns he visited. He just showed up, started working miracles in people's lives. And people would go around going, did you hear about this guy that showed up? Who is he? Some say he's the Messiah. I don't know what he is, but he's amazing. You would have thought somebody would have announced that he was coming. But he just walked into the town. Just like with us, he just walks into our lives, walks into the room, comes into our presence. And, and for sure, it's not that God was trying to hide anything that the prophets were saying. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. God had been proclaiming the coming of the Son for a long, long time. But there's something here that we, we must need to learn, and I think it has something to do with learning how to see a Messiah, the Messiah, learning how to see God because it's rarely what we expect. And so there's a basic lesson there, and I have it for you in the notes, and and I think it's an important lesson, and it's this. The way God answers prayer is often different than what we expected. That's a biblical truth. It's a relational truth with God because we go to him with our needs. And even though we give him our list and we point out the things that we need, almost like a shopping list sometimes, God sticks to his course and he answers but it may look different. We try to put God into our circumstances. We try to put God into our expectations and into our worldview. I mean, wouldn't it have made more sense if the government got behind the coming of Jesus than just Jesus showing up in a barn? Wouldn't it have made more sense if the mayor made an announcement and said, hey, guys, I'm going to be losing my job because the Messiah has come? No, they lived in this confusing human world where they didn't know how to relate to a God. 
And God wanted to change all of that, and he started by giving us an incredibly humble Jesus. God comes to us. We don't invent God. He's God, but and we have to learn how to see things his way, or we don't get to see him. Because God is going to lead us down the path that is best, that sees the biggest picture. He knows what to do to fulfill the plan for your life. He knows what his promises are. And he answers our prayers in life, he does, in a way that is perfectly designed to fit the big story of what he's trying to do. 1 John 5 and 14 tells us that this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay? That's why we pray prayers and we have this tradition it's hard to know where the tradition came from exactly, but the, the spirit of it is understood. We pray prayers in the name of Jesus. We don't do the prayers in the name of Pastor Rob. That would be silly. You do the, name, you, the prayers in the name of Jesus because we know at the end of it all, we just want to submit to whatever God wants to do. And Jesus comes into our lives and he listens to those prayers, but he does it humbly subtly, without a lot of fanfare. And he's not confined or defined by my expectation. He's not even defined by my prayer. His plans and his purposes are are far bigger than mine. Even why did Jesus come to the earth in 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 the first place? He didn't come because you prayed for it. He came because he had a plan to give his life for you. That's God's idea. You might think it's yours sometime, but it's God's idea to save you. The earth was expecting a king, but what they got was kind of a homeless guy. And Jesus is with us in ways, guys, that we can't see until we open up our hearts to something new. Jesus is all over Harmony Church. I love that he's here. You know he's here, right? He's in this place. He's with us today. We brought him here, and I know his hand is upon this place. But it's a very humble place. It's a little place. I'm proud of it. But it's a humble little place. It's so sweet. It's got such a wonderful history. And we have a great future where we, we plan to be have bigger space. We're looking forward to that. But Jesus is in these spaces. He loves it here. He's, he's in the humble kids' ministry rooms. He loves those rooms. We've painted them. We've tried to make them look cool. But they're just two little rooms. But I love them. Or the office is supposed to be mine, but it's got a lot of storage in it. That's humble. That's okay with me. I walk in there and I step over it and get to my desk, find a way to, oh, it's more Beth stuff, been decorated, okay. I sit down in my seat and I have my time and it's wonderful to me, it's beautiful. And and there are times when I, I wish I didn't have to move stuff off my desk, you know. But it's cool because I know that through humility... Jesus teaches a lot of lessons. And in the space of humble places, Jesus doesn't mind showing up because he doesn't mind simplicity and humility. And so we may be looking at other places and just drive right past here because we may think that's not a special place at all. Look at this little tiny little church. People do that. Looking for something bigger, looking for something different. But let me tell you something. When you come to Harmony, you're going to meet Jesus. He's at other churches too, I imagine. But I know he's here. 
He's here in this place, in this humble space. And so when we have questions about where he is, when we wonder, is this too simple? Am I asking what, what I'm doing? Lord, is, is my life what it should be for you? We need to, we need to do what John taught his, his disciples to do, and that's to ask Jesus directly. Who are you, Jesus? And Jesus, where are you working? Because wherever you're working, that's where I want to be. I want to be in this space that you are, Jesus. And that's the first thing, guys, that we need to get right in our life, is that we follow him. As I said in an earlier sermon, we follow him. He doesn't follow us. We find him, and we go behind him. We want to seek him for what he's doing. That's what I want out of Jesus, is just to show me where he is so that I can be there. And I'm constantly praying prayers that say, Jesus, do this. Make sure you do this. Don't forget to help me with the sermon, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, don't let me blow a message today. Please show up. And Jesus goes, have you even prayed about it? Do you even know what I want to say today? See, here's how I prepare sermons, and this is a big secret to my phenomenal success. Are you ready? I can study anything. I can still, I have so many resources, don't we? Study, study, study. I've been to seminary. I've, I've, I've prayed, uh, thought about things, researched things, written papers on things. But none of those things point to anything until I know that I think the Lord has given me the message for you. When I get to the place where I feel like I have the message of the day, then all the study makes sense. Because I could produce for you a sermon that, that maybe sounds sophisticated and intelligent and academic and still not have the message that Jesus was wanting to share that day. Because Jesus has the message, I don't. I write the sermon, but Jesus gives the message. you understand that? I just want to be here and hope that in the midst of this, Jesus speaks to your mind, speaks to your heart, and floods you with what he's trying to say. And when I get to that place in my prayer time during the week, I'm able to relax. And I can say, okay, sermon may bomb, may be good, maybe not, who knows, but I have my message. And if I can get that message across, I think I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And these verses from Isaiah are so precious. They're, they're like a, a, a birth announcement for Jesus, even though we don't know what to expect. You know, we all announce the arrival of our children when they come, but usually we do it when they arrive, not 700 years earlier. Well, God did it a long time earlier because he did want people to be looking for the arrival of the Messiah. He just didn't explain how it was going to happen. But he said he's coming. He didn't provide an address. He didn't give the names of the parents. He just said he's coming, and it's going to be amazing. And when he comes, it's going to change the world forever. God wasn't hiding his promise. He announced it so early that everybody who wanted to could start to prepare for that, and they could start to have this thing rise in their heart called hope. And that's what Israel needed. When we move toward the New Testament, we, we see a, a generation of people that need hope in the worst way. Their history had taken down so many paths that seemingly felt hopeless. They needed it. And even when Isaiah wrote these words, the people of Israel were facing a takeover of, of a superpower called Assyria. And that's what happened. And, I, and God wanted them, through this giving of the truth about the Messiah, to have hope about a king in the future. 
And that's important for us to grasp as we've been studying this idea of a king because Jesus was promised to God's people as a king, maybe as a prince, as a Messiah, but the kingship of God is what they needed in their lives. That's what you needed too. Messiah is a liberator, king's a ruler, the prince was a prince of promise. All those words were given to describe this Jesus that was going to come. And let me tell you, Israel by now in the story, if you've been paying attention, trying to, you know that they probably understood that earthly kings don't work out. Earthly kingdoms don't work out. Something new has to be done. So he's telling them that no matter what they're facing now in the future of their days in Israel, the future was bright because Jesus was coming. And so he started by telling them the name and the names of the king. And so the New Testament opens with this wonderful announcement of an incredible gift. And what you get when you open up this gift are so many wonderful blessings. And I I could pick so many blessings, but I want to just pick one blessing that comes when you open up the gift in your life. And I hope you have it. And it's a gift of peace. The gospel is more than a prescription for getting into heaven. It, it's, it's more than a prescribed presentation. The gospel is not a promise that you make that you're never, ever, ever going to sin again. The gospel points us to something special about a Jesus who humbly walks into your life and things start to happen. He moves in, and while it's humble, he floods us with something new, and that's a connection to God. And if we're paying attention, we can start to see things unfold in our life that are just beautiful, and it changes the way a person thinks about life. The gospel draws people together in rooms like this, and it's churches, and gives us purpose, deep purpose. We gather together with love for one another, with love for God. And I love it that you're here today, and I love you, and I see that you love each other. And when you look back at the history of God's people, however, you see the difficulty. The, the difficulty was this task, focus, faith. Again, the math problem kind of faith. You know, I've got to bring a lamb to sacrifice or I'm not going to be forgiven. I've got to prepare this Passover lamb. I've got to do so many things right to get to God. And the good news changed all that. And, and I love what John 1 and 14 says. It just summarizes it so passionately and beautifully. And it says, the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the gospel. Because the gospel is not a religion. It's a person. The gospel is Jesus. The gift is Jesus. I am so overwhelmed by it. It's so good. Remember the whole thing in the Old Testament about how God wanted his people to see him as the only king. This is the chance. This is the chance because now we have Jesus who is God incarnate, who came to this earth for a number of reasons. One was to save us, but also to establish his kingdom on the earth. You and I this morning are right in the middle of the kingdom of Jesus. He dwells here. He rules here, hopefully. This means the kingdom of God is with us wherever we go because he moves into our hearts. It's a home in heaven, but it's also a kingdom on earth. 
And so the best way for Jesus to deliver that news is just to keep telling people. That's what he did in those days. He just kept telling everybody, I'm God, listen to me, I'm going to bless you. And it upset people and it caused a lot of bad feelings. But he was trying to get everybody he spoke to to be in a better place. And the place that he wanted to get them to was a place outside of the turmoil of their world, outside of the turmoil of their religion, outside of the turmoil of their turmoil of their concerns, and get them to this one space that Jesus is so good at providing, and that's a place of peace. Peace. Even when I say it, my heart slows down. Jesus brings peace. And I want, to, I want to hit you quickly with three places where this peace affects our lives. These are very simple thoughts. So important. Jesus, the gift, first of all, brings a peace with ourselves. An inside peace. There's nothing like it. There is a world right now that is overwhelmingly falling apart because of anxiety. Depression, anxiety has overwhelmed people. I'm not saying you're sinful if you've got those things. I'm just saying this world would love to overwhelm you with anything but peace. But when you turn to Jesus, when you let the kingdom of God rule in your life, even though you may still be experiencing these symptoms of this world around you, a thing can rise up in your heart called peace that is just amazing. John 16 and 33, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Oh, I love this so much. Take courage. I have overcome the world. I've overcome your enemies. I've overcome your pressures. I've overcome the things you're so afraid of. Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace. Peace in the midst of storms. It's good. And John helps us understand here that the peace of God that he gives us is an inside peace. No matter what's taking place on the outside, we can be strong on the inside. There's so much turmoil in the world that many people have stopped listening to news or watching or reading news. They just don't even want to know anymore. Because when you read the news, you feel anxiety. How are we going to survive? Jesus says, I'll show you how. I'll come inside your heart. I'll establish a kingdom inside of you. You'll live for me. And guess what you'll have? Peace. We can't control others. Lord knows I've tried. We can't control the world around us. I try. But you can still have joy and peace inside, and that's what, he, that's what he's done for us. And part of the peace with ourselves is coming to grips with the truth about the problem of sin. Guys, and you guys know this, Romans 3.23, most of you can probably quote it. Maybe you can quote it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. That's fundamental stuff. So when you come to grips with that right there, you start to have peace. When you start to understand that, yeah, that's part of what's happened. 
And you may think it's not a very peaceful passage, but this self-honesty is the beginning of finding a life of peace with God. Secondly, we have peace with others. Yes, you can. Romans 14 and 19 says, So we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. When Jesus is in your heart, when this great gift is in your life, suddenly you learn to love others. Now, you're not going to have friends. You're not going to make friends with everybody. But one way you can change the world around you is to bring the peace that you have found to others around you. You can't control them again, but you can offer them the gift of the peace with God and offer it by giving love that is healthy and unselfish and that reflects the love of God. 1 John 4 and 7, great scripture. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That's good. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So this deeply personal, passionate thing called love is a product of peace, which comes from knowing God. And it does allow our relationships to be different. You can be a good husband. You can be a good son, a good friend, a good companion. You can, because the love of God will work. Even though there are obstinate people around you, and I'm not talking about your companion, there are obstinate people. There are enemies out there. There are people that don't like you, that won't like you, but you can still bring love to the table. I struggle with that. When someone is an enemy, I don't think I have a lot of them, but every now and then I get a sense of that person doesn't like me and it shocks me. Who wouldn't like me? And I think in my mind, if I could just prove something to them, I would make them like me. Doesn't always happen. But I can be on my knees and I can pray for them. That's love starting to grow. Peace with yourself, peace with others. And of course, the biggest peace that Jesus brings, guys, you know it, peace with God. Romans 5 and 1, having been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're born into sin. We're separated from God. The Bible teaches us we're guilty of something, and we can never reconcile that. But Jesus does because God's standard of holiness and acceptable righteousness demanded a sacrifice, as I said earlier. And Jesus is that sacrifice. And, guys, you can't change that a bit. He's already done it. You can continue to try to earn it, but you can't. Jesus already did that. He already paid the way for you to go to heaven. You've already got a ticket if you want it. It's yours. Isn't that amazing? Does that give you peace? The gift of Jesus has broken a curse on this earth, this coming of the Christ child, this New Testament story, the greatest story ever, the story of the coming of Christ and what he did on this earth. And I can't wait for the Christmas season. We're going to celebrate it around here. We decorate our little chapel here. We have a Christmas Eve service that's wonderful. It's so precious as we gather together. And I look forward to all the festivity of that because we should celebrate it. We should decorate about it. We should be excited about it because it's it's the time of the greatest gift coming to this earth, and we should be happy about that. And Jesus told us that he loved us so much. God told us he loved us so much that I just want to give you a gift, and that gift is eternal life. That's better than a 401k. Every year in my little church here, we have this Christmas Eve service is so special. And we do this thing. You've heard of them. 
candle lighting. And, and the candlelight portion of Christmas is so sacred to me personally. It's beautiful. Six o'clock, Christmas Eve. I hope you'll be here. Invite a friend. But the lighting of the candles is a moment we all love. Some of us get anxious because kids got candles. And gets nervous. And uh, we get candles on the carpet. That's okay. Because the symbolism of this thing is the symbolism of the gospel. Here's what I mean. For fire fanatics, it provides some relief, you know. You get to light something up. But for most of us, it's just a time of great peace. And what happens to me is this great symbol of the gospel. And when it comes time to light the candles, here's how we do it. You've seen it before. It starts with me. I light my candle. So I light it. And then I share that with one person. And then that one person shares it with another person. You've seen it. And in a short amount of time, the whole room is engulfed in this glow. And here's the thing that's always amazed me about that. And this is where the gospel comes in. When I share my light, it doesn't lose any of its glow. Isn't that great? It's not like I have $5 in my pocket and I give you one and I'm left with four. That's a bummer. But when I share my light, there's still all the light I need to have my hope. That's what it is. That's what the gospel is. Jesus, every time he touches one of us, it touches us with more than we had. And then when we share that with others, we don't lose anything. We continue to share this wonderful gift of hope. It's not a sales pitch. It's a flame of fire. The gospel is about fire that's meant to be shared. That's the story you're going to read in the New Testament, guys, about this humble Jesus who came to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. And when Jesus was born, the angels did take an opportunity to show off. They sang in the skies above Bethlehem to the shepherds. It was pretty amazing. They said in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it's recorded, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why we're here this morning. And if you're struggling to find peace, I promise you, the answer is in Him. And if you come to me and talk about it, I'm going to talk to you about Him. And I'm going to pray with you about what He wants to do to bring you that peace. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, church? I love you so much. Each one of you, I care about you. I pray for you. I think about you. Father God, this morning, I love you. I thank you. I'm trying hard to love you, to be the kind of servant that you will bless. But God, I know that I'm here today because of this wonderful thing called the gospel.